Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockman Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. We are not huge cyclists and we're not huge adventurers. We're, we're just two normal people who wanted to enjoy it and, and get out there. And so to see that um, this couple had done it too um, was really reassuring that it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't too daunting for us. And Welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski, and I interview bike tourists from around the world to bring you stories of their adventures and experiences. These are people who get out there and leave the comfort zone of the typical 9 to 5 to embark on ambitious adventures and take on challenges that most people can only dream about. If you like what you hear today, please share this podcast with other bike tours you know, or anyone else you think may be interested. If you want to get in touch, you can email me at info at biketouradventures.com or find me on Facebook and Instagram at Bike Tour Adventures. In episode 29 of Bike Tour Adventures, I have the opportunity to speak with Joe and Verdi, a young British couple that decided to take their passion for education and gender equality by cycling to Mumbai to visit the Magic Bus Charity Headquarters. After reaching India, they decided to continue on their journey and cycle all the way across Southeast Asia before finishing up their trip in New Zealand. Now back in the UK, I have the opportunity to chat with Joe and V about their adventures. Joe, Verity, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, hi. So you guys, um, let's start with having you tell us about each other. So Joe, you can introduce Verity and Verity, you can introduce Joe. Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, so Verity is my wife. We've been married for uh, four, four years. Uh, we've been together for quite a while before that. We met at university. Uh, she is a lawyer, she's great, she is keen for an adventure and uh, was much better at all the sort of the grubbiness of uh, bike travelling than I was, um, but she's brilliant. <laughs> uh, yeah, and this is Jo, so uh, like Jo says, we've been together for quite a while and yeah, decided to head out on this adventure last year. Um, Jo's a teacher, so he had one academic year off from school um, and we were able to tie it in with a charity that's affiliated with Joe's school which seemed to work really well and yeah of course he's wonderful as well. <laughs> Excellent and what was the motivation to do the bike tour and why did you choose to go by bike? Uh, well we, we were desperate to have some kind of adventure um, and like I said we've been pushing for a sabbatical so wanted to do something out of the ordinary um, and we'd done a bit of cycle touring before, sort of only two week odd trips, but we absolutely loved it. Mm -hmm. We were fully aware of how good it could be and how much fun you can have at going at that pace and how much of a country you can see. So it all just sort of slotted together really nicely and yeah, it all took shape really, really well. Okay. And did you have, you, you said you did have some previous uh, bike touring experience, yes? 
Yeah, so Joe had done <clears throat> a couple of cycle trips um, in sort of early days when we got together. And then we started to do a few holidays by bike and mm-hmm. just really enjoyed it. Like, we like being able to carry everything with us, be pretty self-sufficient and the camping and everything that went with that. And so, yeah, when we decided we wanted to have an adventure, it seemed that going by bike would be a good move. It was obviously a lot longer than anything we'd done before, but mm-hmm. we, were, we knew we were up for and, and we're really excited about. What kind of places did you previously uh, bike tour to? Was it just within the UK itself or anywhere else? Yeah, I've done a little bit. I'd cycled out to Switzerland before and um, top to bottom of Italy. We did a bit in the Netherlands and the North Coast 500 up in Scotland, which was absolutely fantastic. Mm. And we went out to Colombia for a few weeks as well, a few years back, uh, took our bikes out there, which was brilliant. So yeah, all sort of three three week long trips or so. So nothing quite to this scale, but really enjoyable. Yeah, that's fantastic. So it was just kind of, it all built up from these smaller trips really, yeah? Yeah, exactly. We exactly, are. yeah. And I think we, we learned a little bit about what worked and what didn't in the uh, in the smaller trips although i've got to say you sort of need the same amount of stuff for two weeks as you probably mm-hmm. do for two months but we hadn't had the challenge of going across seasons or anything like that before okay. so that's different yeah. and joe you're as a teacher what is your how long is your summer break uh summer break is normally about eight weeks it's probably the okay. best bit about teaching yeah um, so yeah we do try and well i try and make most of those previously but uh, obviously this was the whole year off so i um, meant that we could really get involved in a proper adventure other than educating young minds right that's the best bit right yeah, oh, yeah sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> i'm also a teacher so uh, i get you okay you go wrong <laughs> and uh did you like i'm assuming these trips happened in the summer when you and verity went on to like columbia and stuff did you stay behind and do some more travels or did you come back with her no, uh, we always went together and came back together. thought it was a bit unfair to sort of get her on a plane to go back and me to stay out there and have a bit more fun. So, yeah, no, we always did it together. I'm yeah, struggling with that idea. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't rub it in too much that he has all these holidays. So oh, he's a good he's, man. He's very good. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what kind of bikes did you use uh, throughout the trip? Uh, so I took my touring bike that was quite old, actually, but it was uh, tried and tested. Yeah. So it was a Genesis. Um, Joe had a gravel bike. That she was new, but only because his other bike was on its last legs. Um, so I thought it was a good excuse as any to get a new one. They were both pretty standard. Um, we didn't have any fancy setups. And mm-hmm. we wanted to try and keep them as simple as possible, really, so that if anything did go wrong, we'd be able to find someone to fix it. And that happened, actually. We had all sorts of things. No massive problems, but we did end up you know, being able to weld my saddle back on in um, in Turkey and Joe's pedal fell off as well at one point and it, it didn't matter that it was a bit of a botched job because it got us back on the road pretty quickly so so that that worked well not having fancy bikes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for joe your bike is a it's a gravel bike did it have drop bars or a flat handlebar yeah they both had drop handlebars which um we were quite keen on i've done uh, on mountain bikes before and just the sort of being able to vary the back position and stuff like that we really enjoyed having drop handlebars um it made a big difference and yeah they worked really well obviously handlebar bags on the front meant that we weren't in the way or anything and it was uh, it's pretty pretty good coasting really yeah yeah fair enough and um i mean with the trip typical style touring that you go from like the uk to to southeast asia it tends to be mostly on roads you're not really hitting like peruvian off-road trails and stuff so you don't really need the the flat bars right no it was um 
it was great. We yeah, we were on roads pretty much the whole time. So we, yeah, the bag setup was all pretty compact and we never had to do anything too treacherous or downhilly. The transmission on the bike, was it just a traditional style derailers or did you have some fancy stuff like roll off hubs and or pinion? <laughs> no, again, that's very said, sort of we wanted to keep it as easy as possible. Yeah. Um, so we, we kept it simple, just if anything went wrong, we knew how to fix it. Yeah, we would love to have fancier stuff, but um, we wanted to keep it simple just in case anything went wrong. And uh, luckily it didn't really. And I, I, I wanted to be able to fix anything if I needed to. And if the chain came off, it was easy enough to put back on. So, yeah. yeah. And you're only a teacher. I mean, how much can you really afford, right? Exactly. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> So your one year sabbatical, actually, I meant to ask you, was that uh, like in Canada, I know you could do like a, a four over five years where you get paid for five years, but over a period of the, uh, sorry, you get paid for four years over a period of five so that when you take that year off, you're actually paid the whole time. Did you have something like uh, that or was it just savings? No, it was just savings. Um, yeah, we uh, pushed for it and asked for it. And uh, eventually they said, you know, I was going to, I was going to be taking a year off and if I could come back to the same job, that would be amazing. Um if not, then I'll have to look somewhere else. And they said they'd be happy to keep the job open for me. Uh, it was as simple as that. So we had to just make sure we were saving for a year to be able to spend mm-hmm. for a year, basically. Excellent. And um, your bike setup, I'm assuming, was also your, your more traditional touring bags, not so much of a bike packing setup? or. Yeah, exactly. So both had four panniers um, and then a handlebar bag. So kept it kept it pretty simple, really. I think we get pretty jealous when we see people who've got those really streamlined bike packing setups. Yeah. I think it's something we would quite like to try in the future. But for this trip, we felt we had everything we wanted um, whilst not taking a huge amount. I mean, we, we read lots and lots of blogs and kit lists and things before we left and managed to hone down a mm-hmm. very deep spreadsheet. We had of everything we thought we wanted and it did, it did seem to come together. Yeah, we were pleased with it. We were pretty smug whenever we saw someone on the road or whatever we we thought we got it pretty bang on the the bike packing setup or you know it's really dependent on what kind of touring you're doing i don't think it's by far the best way of traveling if you're going to be hitting up mostly roads and stuff but if you want to get on those um single tracks and stuff it's a different story and everyone seems to be happy with what they've got so you just get used to it and and yeah we we certainly were Mm -hmm. do you have any packing tips that could be useful for others who are planning a tour start off with as little as possible, we've had a few people, so we're on warm showers, obviously, as hosts, and we've had a few people go past with a few extra bags that perhaps they didn't need or, you know, were extra heavy bikes. So mm-hmm. start off small, especially we were very lucky starting in Europe. You know, there's always a shop nearby if you did think that you were needing anything. Right. So that would be our tip, yeah. Start small and get things that you need extra as you go rather than having too much and having to jettison stuff as you, as you go along. In terms of what we took that we would recommend... Mm-hmm. We took some little camping um, chairs. Actually, they were given to us by one of our sponsors, and they were absolutely amazing. And I just I don't know how anyone cycle tours without sort of being able to rest your back at the end of the day or at lunchtime and things. They were they were brilliant. Yeah, they felt like a luxury item, but actually, the amount we used them, they became a everyday item, didn't they? Actually? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Were they heavy or pretty lightweight? No, so like really lightweight, really lightweight and really easy to sort of pack away and put up again and didn't take up much space they're brilliant they're called heli knocks they're really small and yeah they're brilliant uh, along with that obviously you know your, your usual gadgets and things we were particularly uh, pleased with a three meter strap of velcro that we took with us that meant that we could put anything together and fix anything that we needed to and stuff like that but oh, cool. everyone finds their own little gadgets i'm sure 
Yeah. No, so I was going to ask, what are, are some of the unexpected things that you think people should definitely bring? Yeah, so things like that, things that are going to be multi-purpose, like the Velcro was fantastic to hang clothes up when you were drying things or to use as a, an extra sort of strap on, on bags and things like that. Yeah, and our, our camping chairs were brilliant. Yeah. Uh, what else did we take? So now I think everything else is probably quite expected, actually. <laughs> Don't think we made some undiscovered... Uh... Oh, we did have to... We, we had to buy a fan when we were in... Uh, in Thailand, it was getting so hot in the middle of the night that inspired by someone we saw on Instagram, we bought a little battery-powered fan. So that would be a recommendation if anyone was going anywhere seriously hot. would be, uh, yeah, something to get a bit of airflow in the middle of the night would be essential. Yeah, especially if you're in Thailand in that, like, January, February part of the season where it's pretty humid and it's warm. Yeah, It was stinkingly hot. It was, uh, our only mistake was not to buy two. I think there was a bit of fighting over <laughs> yeah. who got more. <laughs> What, uh, what should people leave at home that you think is absolutely unessential that maybe you saw other people take? We're always a bit confused when people have you know, one or sometimes even two laptops, just um, just in terms of the, the weight and the fact how mm-hmm. bashed about they probably get on the back of a bike. We had quite good phones and one tablet between us, which worked quite well because we tried to sort of keep notes and write a bit of a diary, and mm-hmm. um, that, that worked well for us. I understand some people work as they go, so maybe... It's, it's different depending on what your priorities are. Yeah. Um, but equally, I guess everyone has their, their must-haves. We've, we've seen people traveling with you know, full-size frying pans and um, big coffee, sort of a coffee machine thing. And you just think, I, I wouldn't want to drag that up the hill. That was always my thought is, do I want this enough to drag it up a hill? Yeah, <laughs> but some people, that's essential. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess. And uh, what was the total weight of your bikes and gear, if you happen to know? So our bags were about uh, 18 kilograms each. And then our well, bikes were pretty ordinary bikes, so I don't, we never actually weighed them. Uh, but we did have to fly a couple of times uh, across the sea and stuff like that and across Iran. So um, we managed to get them into those 30 kilogram weight limits to okay. go in the hole. So they can't have been too heavy with everything, all of the bags and stuff included. Although oh. we did have lots of things in our pockets. So, uh, yeah, we were... yeah, I've done that. <laughs> and how much did it cost you to get ready to go? Just um, like what was your total expenses before you left? Not sure before we left. We know what our total was sort of through, through the whole trip and to getting getting set up. You know, we had a lot of help from sponsors and stuff who were great. And it was so like we obviously had things already, like Verity's bike was already there. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not quite sure what the total setup okay. is, but as we said, you should have take as little as you can and get going, and then you can buy stuff as you go. Yeah, what was your total trip cost in that case? Um, so for about nine months, it was about... About £9,000 for the both of us. £1,000 a month kind of thing, huh? Yeah. On average. Yeah, on average. And averages don't really work out when we look at that. We've, again, you know, spot the math teacher, but we've got some... Um, you know statistics and graphs of our expenditure and it just doesn't really it doesn't work as an average month on month mm-hmm. in Europe we spent a lot more and then when you compare it to Asia we had lots of days when we didn't spend anything so yeah you're beginning to you had your initial cost then you had Europe and Europe's pricey and then all of a sudden bam everything goes down to very low yeah, cost totally um, so you keep, you mentioned a couple times sponsors. Um, who were some of your sponsors, and how did you manage to to get them? 
Yeah, we were really, really lucky. Um, so we wrote to probably about 100 companies um, and we try and be quite specific. So I hope, hope they were either local or we were, you know, we'd done a lot of research into who we were writing to. And we'd um, do quite bespoke presentations for each of them. Um, it was amazing actually how few replied and how mm-hmm. much of a difference it made if someone replied even saying, you know, great to hear about your trip, but no, um, we're still better than absolute silence. Yeah. Um, but like I say, a few did reply and, and we were really lucky. So our main sponsor was a, a shop in Cambridge, which is close to us, um, called Open Air. And they gave us a lot of our camping setup, uh, which is incredibly generous of them. And they really know their stuff. So they were able to help us choose what to get and what would be best for us. Yeah, they were brilliant. So they yeah sorted us all out and gave us all the tips. And we also had um, Beeline, who were a little sort of a gadget to go on the front of your bike to help with navigation that were really good to us. And Cara Dice gave us my panniers. Oh, nice. Really kindly. Yeah, it was really good. And then um, we got mobile solar chargers. They gave us a big solar charger and a battery pack that we used. as Like we said, we didn't have any dynamo set up or anything mm-hmm. like that. So the solar panel was great on the back. I mean, yeah, we... we we did write to a lot of companies, and as Verity says, you can't begrudge anyone for, for saying no. I mean, you're, you're being cheeky asking in the first place, yeah. but the number of people who came back and said, you know, we could, they'd give us a discount or give us something was just, it was amazing. It was, yeah, it was really heartwarming. That's yeah. fantastic. What was the, uh, the gadget you said you had on the front of the bike? Oh, sorry, it was a, a B line. Okay. Um, B as in the animal mm-hmm. line. Yeah, it's a, it's a really smart little. A gadget that goes on the front and it just is really simple navigation so it just sort of has an arrow like a compass point that tells you where to go it syncs in with your google maps or stuff so it's particularly useful in a in a city and things like that okay um just for navigation is yeah it's really pretty and nice and yeah all right i'll check that out later get more on it out of pure curiosity what kind of cooking system did you use so we had a msr whisper light Okay. Um, which I think is a, the go-to for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, it was great in the way it could take gas or petrol or, well, anything you can burn, yeah. really, as we discovered later on. And it was light and easy. And then we just had we had the, the two pans that sort of go into each other and the, a bowl and a cup each. Um, yeah, and it was surprisingly easy, really, to, to get by with not very little. It's, it's very strange to now be back home and have a kitchen and think, yeah, we definitely don't need... Don't yeah. need as much as we now have in our cupboards, that's for sure. Yeah, it's quite quite phenomenal how fast you start to <laughs> accumulate things again. And you're like, oh my God, why am I buying all this stuff? <laughs> yeah, <absolutely. laughs> we still have the wooden spoon that was our precious wooden spoon that we took with us. Oh, yeah. nice, nice. Yeah, size possession. I've been quite interested recently in finding out what kind of cooking systems people use because, I mean, the Whisper Light is extremely popular. And um, yeah. did you have any problems with it at all throughout your trip? No, it took a bit of getting used to, um, and we were very cautious of it to begin with. Um, so, yeah, through Europe, gas was so easy that we just used that the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I was a bit, you know, I'd read reports on, you know, it being too sooty when you use petrol and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I was quite cautious of it. But then once you start using it and realize it is just there, the whole purpose of it is to be yeah. used and to heat everything up. It was great. Yeah, the only thing that we thought was that you couldn't sort of, it was pretty full on. I think it was, you know, it, it's amazing for all adventures and perhaps maybe it goes down, you know, it's meant to be working at minus 30 degrees and yeah. stuff like that, which was too extreme for us and meant that 
when we were using it, it was perhaps overly powerful. Okay. Um, so, well, you know, there's a huge danger of analysis paralysis was the phrase that we heard of just researching everything. And actually it got to a point where we realized if a lot of people use it and a lot of people are happy with it, then it's probably the, the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they, I mean, and yeah, I think the one, the only real downside um, I came across, I, I did a recent podcast with uh, Adam Hugo we talked about stoves and the only downside with the whisper light is it's, you don't have a, an adjustable flame. So it's, it's always kind of just given her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah exactly. I wonder, I, I'm actually, I've never checked this out and I've never talked about it, but with my Trangia stove, I used to put a couple drops of water in it and that would keep it from getting as sooty when using lower quality, like fuels, like petrol. Hmm. And I wonder if that would work as well with whisper light, but that's just me ranting now. So <laughs> Back to your yeah, trip. We'll have to give it a go next time. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know if I ever find out. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about the tour. And I thought that we could kind of break it up into like a European leg, Turkey to India, and then Southeast Asia, and then New Zealand. And um, you guys could talk about as much or as little about each leg as you like. Sure. So Europe, what was your general route and how did you decide your route? So I think we saw the Europe leg as, as very much the warm up and for us mm-hmm. to, to get into the tour. And um, I finished work on the Friday and then we left that Sunday. So, um, I definitely needed some time just to sort of decompress and realize that I just quit my job and I was now unemployed and on a bike for the foreseeable future. Um, so we took it pretty easy. We followed, uh, the Euro Velos mm-hmm. and tried to hit the Danube pretty quickly and then follow that um so through western europe and then turning south once we hit uh Slovakia and then down through hungary it was surprising actually i think we thought the euro Velos were going to be pretty beautiful tarmac paths the whole way and they did end up putting us up on some pretty sandy and gravelly parts and oh, okay. um, yeah it wasn't as wasn't as easy as we thought it was going to be just following those i mean obviously with mainland europe you've got far more roads and options and so you've got to be a little bit careful where you're going you know far more so than when you're in let's say oman when there's one road heading in a general direction yeah, so yeah we were trying to follow our route carefully and we were aiming for these cycle velos and we uh, yeah we think we had grand designs of them being like the sustran cycle paths in england where everything's signposted beautifully and it's all on a, a b road or a, a purpose-built lane like they were in the netherlands um yeah, we got uh, stuck a couple of times on cobbles and things like that, oh, okay. but then too serious. It was it was still all right. <laughs> I can imagine that you're da- you're dreaming of it like it's like something out of a movie where the the girl's waving her arms above her head as she's beautifully cycles down this path, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, cobbles. <laughs> <laughs> exactly that. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> uh, did you see a lot of other bike tours on the the routes you took? We we sort of hit pockets of them. So I think uh, particularly along the Danube, there's yeah. a stretch between sort of Austria and Hungary um, where you'd see groups of cycle tours. So I think they might be the type of holiday where people take your luggage for you and you cycle between um, places. But other than that, actually, we didn't see that many people. I think we potentially left towards the end of the season. So it was mid-August. So we always seemed to be behind quite a few people, which was helpful for us because we could sort of see what people were up to where we would be in a month or two. But no, it wasn't. It wasn't that packed with cycle tourists as no, well. No, no, so yeah, we. I mean, we purposely avoided um, the Alps and and sort of that way. We originally were thinking of doing Croatia and 
down over the apps integration and things like that. But yeah, because as Verity said, we wanted to make sure it was a bit of a easier start. Yeah, we headed due east to begin with, um, which I think is probably the lesser gone route as well, which meant that we probably didn't see as many people. Okay. What were some of the challenges of um, European cycling, if there are any challenges? I don't know. Yeah, I think probably the route actually was surprisingly difficult. Like okay. I said, if you have a map in front of you, because the maps are available and because it's so easy to plot one nowadays, you know, if you have that in front of you, you then feel like you have to stick on it exactly. Right. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't particularly relaxing, especially for me if I was doing the map reading you suddenly feel very tied to it as opposed to just a bit free and knowing you're heading in a general direction. So I think that was one of the challenges. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's more a reflection of us than, than on European cycling. And I think the other challenge actually was just relaxing into it, which again is sort of a a personal challenge rather than um, anything to do with, to do with Europe. I think at that point we were still paying to stay in campsites most nights. Okay. And looking back, you think, well, why, you know, why did we do that? And it got a lot more fun once we started wild camping and, and being a bit more adventurous. So I think in a lot of ways it was the warm up. And I think when we hit Turkey, which I know is sort of the start of your leg two, I think it suddenly yeah. felt like we were making progress and starting to, to settle into it all. Okay. What were some of the highlights of cycling through Europe? The fact that you can go through three countries in one day was pretty cool. You know, you're just... You don't realise that you're in a different country until you sort of see a different signpost or something on the side. Really <laughs> bad. And it was, yeah, it was just very easy to sort of pop across. We loved Serbia, actually. Serbia was a real highlight. Mm-hmm. Um, we probably just weren't expecting it, and suddenly everyone got really, really friendly, and it was just seemed to have a really nice culture around. Yeah, they were probably our highlights through. through. Yeah, we, were, we did feel like, although we were taking it easy, it was definitely we were looking forward to it sort of getting a bit more we're a bit further away and a bit more exciting sort of the more different it gets i suppose mm-hmm. is there and not to say would you do it differently if you were to do it again because i know like people never like to say they would actually do it differently but <laughs> is there um somewhere you would definitely like to explore that you haven't explored in europe well we went along the southern border of romania and i know from just researching and talking to other people that the north part of Romania and Transylvania and all the mountains in the north are meant to be incredible and we didn't see that side of the country at all so I think Romania is definitely somewhere we want to go back and see a different different side of it yeah the brilliant you know as you well know the brilliant thing about cycling through a country is that you you really see the heart and soul of it and you take your time with it and you get stuck in the nitty-gritty but that also means that you're limited to the route that you take. And in some countries, you only see one side of a country because that's the route that you take. So mm-hmm. that was definitely true for our part in Romania. We only saw one side of it and we'd love to go and see the mountainous northern side, which we feel like we didn't see at all. Okay. Next trip, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about Turkey. And and I know you went somehow from Turkey, you went to Oman, I think. But anyways, you can tie it all into that. But why don't you tell us about cycling in, in Turkey or... Asia, I guess now, technically. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I think Turkey was when we really got into it. I think we suddenly got a lot braver and started wild camping and staying in petrol stations and caves. And we were really enjoying ourselves by this point. I think Turkey is absolutely amazing. And it's it's just got everything. Like the people are incredible. The food was amazing and easy to find. And in amazing landscapes. You've got everything from mountains to 
Cappadocia in the middle, which mm-hmm. is the amazing hot air balloon place um, that lots of people go through. Yeah. And, and Istanbul itself is an amazing city. So we really love Turkey. I think when we try and think about favorites, you can't, you just can't name a favorite, but Turkey is top of the list for whatever category I think really you can choose. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just, it was brilliant. It was smooth time out the whole way. People were so friendly. And it was, it definitely, like I was saying, the, the further out, the more sort of that's where we were getting more excited about being further away from home and, and Turkey was the, the first country to really offer that and everyone was suddenly so friendly and so curious and so helpful. It was brilliant. Yeah, Turkey Turkey and Iran come up a lot in a lot of interviews as um, like two of the most fantastic places to cycle. I think because Turkey leads quite well to Iran and then Iran, you're, you're, you know, you're cutting through. So a lot of people hit those up. But I see you did go to Oman and... Um, why did you go to Oman? How did you get to Oman? And uh, tell us about it. So after Turkey, we went into Georgia and then from Georgia into Azerbaijan. So we hit the Caspian Sea. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, we'd always ideally wanted to head south into Iran and do that route cutting across down to the UAE. But being um, UK citizens, we just couldn't get the visa, yeah. which was really disappointing. It remains a huge number one on, I think, both of our bucket lists. Um, so hopefully we'll be allowed in at some point. So when we knew, I think we were hopeful that that was going to come together, but it didn't. So we thought we were going to do the Pamir Highway and cut across all the stands. Okay. Uh, but by the time we'd got there, it was sort of mid-November and just looking at the weather and the temperatures at the top of those mountain passes, we just didn't have the gear or the inclination really to to go that way and start being in minus 20 at night. So we decided to fly, basically fly over Iran, fly over what we would have ideally wanted to cycle and to Dubai. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, we cycled so through the UAE and, and into Oman, which was Again, absolutely brilliant and another highlight, I think, of our of our whole trip. There's something about cycling through the desert um, with just sort of wild camels around. It's pretty magical. Yeah, it was absolutely incredible. We, we Like we said, Iran was on our list and that was the route that we were planning. Um, but then because we couldn't do that, Amman just made up for it. It was absolutely incredible. And it's not because it's sort of out on the limb. It's not gone through by that many people. And it was incredible. It was just a lot of desert with amazing places in between, um, beautiful roads. Um, the Bedouin culture means you can just pull over anywhere and you're perfectly safe setting up camp. Mm-hmm. Um, we were worried originally about water supplies and things like that, obviously, with it being vast. Before continuing on with the podcast, I just want to thank some of the Bike Tour Adventures sponsors. Bike Tour Adventures is proudly sponsored by Redshift Sports. Founded in 2013 by a team of mechanical engineers who happen to be avid cyclists, they've been focused on creating components that make a meaningful difference to the riding experience, such as the switch aero system, the shock stop suspension system, and the kitchen sink handlebar system. I've been using the dual position seat posts paired with the shock stop stem since 2020 and have nothing but great things to say about their products. Use the checkout code BTA15 on their website to save 15%. Beginning in 2010 with environmental sustainability as a main focal point, Restrap has been in the bag making business for quite some time. Having used a race bag since 2021, I find their holster system and magnetic buckles to be extremely effective and truly unique. Use the checkout code BTAPOD10 to save 10% at checkout. 
Lastly, named after the animal that roams the Tibetan plateau, Chiru Endurance Bikes was started by Pierre Arnaud Le Mangin in 2009. After noticing the lack of endurance bikes on the market, Pierre used his expertise, know-how, and racing experience to create high-end carbon fiber and titanium bikes for the discerning rider and racer. Thanks, and back to the podcast. But um, there are mosques in almost every village that you go through, and the mosques all have filtered water, um, and we're more than happy for us to um, grab some. So it was just, it was an amazing culture and they, all the Amanis were incredibly respectful and, um, curious and calm. They were just amazing people. So the, the whole thing fitted together beautifully and it was, yeah, it was an amazing country really. And was your trip through, um, Oman mostly along the coast or did, are there roads that go through the middle of the country as well? So we cut across when we, uh, entered Oman, that was in the census. We went through Alain border um which then cut through the mountains so we went up into Jebel Shams which is the um known as the Grand Canyon of Amman which was really stunning and Nizwa which is a sort of fortified city in the center Mm -hmm. and then we hit Muscat and then you're right from then we pretty much stayed on the coast um so we'd have the sea to one side and just endless desert and sand on the other yeah Yeah, I'm just looking at the maps now and it looks phenomenal yeah it was it was it was incredible like that there were sort of four or five hotspots in Amman in terms of where other tourists go and so for the rest of the time you know you're you're the only people who are around and on a bicycle is great and you know it obviously brings as you know brings the best out of people and they're all so curious and wondering what you're doing and it's, it was brilliant mm-hmm. how much time did you spend there so we had a 30-day visa, and I think we pretty much spent 30 days. I think yeah. it was 29 or something in the end. Um, we weren't planning on spending that long initially, but we were just loving it so much that we, we sort of did an extra loop. Um, it really, yeah, it was a really special place. I think it, I would highly recommend it yeah. as, a, as a cycle tour destination itself. Okay. And um, did you see any other cycle tours there? We bumped, yeah, we bumped into one other couple wow. um, who actually saw twice, which shows <laughs> a how few rows there are and um, how few people there are doing a similar thing. But yeah, they were enjoying it very much as well. Yeah, the Swiss couple, um, yeah, they were loving it. We yeah kept to the east coast all the way down, then went round to uh, Mazira Island in the bottom. We were hoping to go all the way down to Salala, um, which is sort of where I think you would want to get to uh, as far south as you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because of our time limit and because there were no, unfortunately, we wanted to get a container ship over to India to continue the journey. But, um, yeah, unfortunately, we couldn't we couldn't sort that out. So we had to go back up to Muscat. Okay. And um, is there any advice you would give to people cycling in Oman? No, you know, obviously, as ev- everywhere, you've got to be very respectful of the culture. But in Oman, more than anywhere, where um, it seemed to be a very conservative uh, Muslim country, you know, Verity was in long trousers and covered shoulders, but no more than that. And no, no one had a problem with it at all. In fact, they were incredibly welcoming. Um, okay. Just whatever whatever belief they had, um, it didn't affect, you know, their outlook on us and stuff. So they were amazingly welcoming, actually, the Imanis. It was brilliant. It was a, a lovely place to be, go through. Did you spend much time with local families? Yeah, so a number of times we were welcomed in by complete strangers Um the most memorable was one time we were sort of on the side of the road just having a think about oh, <clears throat> where we were going to find our lunch and a, a man sort of beckoned us to follow him and he ended up just taking us to his house and giving us the most 
amazing lunch and we ended up sort of talking to him or trying to talk to him through mime about where we were from and about him and his family and it was just so generous and so sort of unnecessary that Mm -hmm. people were so kind and I know that's a a highlight for many people generally with cycle touring is the phrase the kindness of strangers but I think Oman has got to be up there on that list of quite how friendly and open everyone was oh that's awesome and uh, I'm assuming the road conditions were pretty good as well. Oh, they were amazing, <laughs> really amazing. Apparently, there was some sort of decree about 20 years ago that all the roads had to be tarmacked so, um, to try and sort of link the country up a little better. Okay. And so everything is... Everything is fresh. Beautiful, fresh tarmac. It's brilliant. Better than the Eurovelo, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Anything else you want to add about um, cycling in Oman before the next yeah, I mean, we, The thing that we were a bit hazy about, hesitant about was the, the map situation um, because, not a, because of the Bedouin culture and because we weren't sure how much was mapped. And, you know, if you are got whatever app you've got and you've downloaded the offline map and you need to make sure that you've got mm-hmm. enough water and enough food to last you. Um, but actually, the this, the mapping system seemed to be behind the times and there were there was far more things available. Um, it was brilliant. I mean, yeah, we'd recommend anyone to go there. It was, it was fantastic. Cool. I have to think about it. Um, and so you flew f- from Muscat to Delhi, I assume, or to somewhere else? Uh, to Chennai. So to Chennai, we, okay, yeah. Yeah, across and then stayed south. So then went backwards down the coast and then across up the coast to Mumbai. So that was our... Sort of Indian, southern India cycle leg, um, which was brilliant. I mean, it was a bit of a shock to the system. Um, Oman was very empty, very calm, um, very relaxed, really. And so it was a bit of a culture shock to suddenly land in Chennai with all the crazy sights and smells and sounds of India. Um, Mm -hmm. But we soon just got involved and absolutely loved it. Yeah, so we the charity we were raising money for is based or its headquarters is in Mumbai. So that was sort of the, the our aim, initial aim was to get to Mumbai. So we knew that we wanted to end in Mumbai and therefore start somewhere else when we were in India. And having done a bit of research, and I had been to India before, we realised that the southern India areas were much calmer and seemed much more um, appeasable for cycle touring. So mm-hmm. we followed a route down all the way down to the bottom, basically from Chennai, keeping to the coast up the west coast, up to Mumbai again, and it was absolutely brilliant. I mean, the we hear a lot of reports about northern India being incredibly full on and people everywhere, and not being able to sort of set up your tent for for people being surrounding you and mm-hmm. taking photos the whole time. And it was the southern route that we took was exactly what we'd hoped it to be it was the cities were busy and hectic and crazy but outside we were sort of cycling along palm palm tree roads back roads and a few scooters would go past us but it was it was incredible you didn't go to sri lanka did you no we wanted to but bizarrely there's no boat between them despite the fact it's about 10 kilometers straight (laughs) no way (laughs) (laughs) no so yeah we did think about it and actually that's somewhere that's on our list, I think for another cycle tour, um, mm-hmm. just in itself, and take a take a few weeks to cycle around there. In the south of India, in Kerala state, did you take any time off time off the bikes to go into the national parks or anything like that? 
We didn't take any um, chunks of time off. We had a few rest days along mm-hmm. the way. We had Christmas and year when we were in southern India, so we obviously had days off to celebrate them. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's just a fantastic part of the world. I think it's incredibly different as well, each state in India. Um, like, say, Kerala and then um, Tamil Nadu, like each one is it's almost akin to Europe in that each one is very different culturally and in, in its food and its people. So it was, it was really interesting to take our time and yeah, explore and enjoy that. Awesome. How long did it take you to cycle from um, Chennai around down the peninsula and up to Mumbai? Uh, just over a month, wasn't it? Five weeks or so. Um, yeah, we knew that we were aiming for Mumbai, like we said, and um, we had planned. I mean, you can't go to India without seeing the hotspots. So we, mm-hmm. we, when we were in India and we'd seen that we went to visit our charity five or six places, um, we then blasted around the top, sort of using night buses and night trains to see the Taj Mahal and the places that you've got to see. Uh-huh, okay. We knew we couldn't possibly do that on a bicycle as well because it would take another three, four months. I mean, everything in India is so vast. The, the sheer size of population or landscape is just massive. So yeah. um, we had to cut our losses and we enjoyed the South so much that we yeah, thought that was perfect. Yeah, I mean, well, the thing about India is it's it's basically fully populated. It's not like it's a big country, just a bit smaller than whatever U.S. or China and stuff. But it's got people everywhere. So <laughs> yeah, totally. And the extremes as well. I mean, we were on the on the beach in Goa, and then we were skiing in the Himalayas about two weeks later. I mean, it's just <laughs> it's just crazy. It's wow. absolutely amazing. I mean, I know it's called Incredible India, but it it really is. And was it cheap to ski in India? <laughs> yeah, I mean, when we say we were skiing, we weren't. We were, uh, we were in the mountains, and uh, I was on a ski or a snowboard. Um, but it wasn't skiing. It was uh, one lift up. It was, and then pick your way down. There was there was no peace. There was, uh-huh. there was nothing. Um, it was much more about. Uh, people sort of having a bit of a photo shoot in ski gear and they were very surprised that we actually wanted to try and ski down and not just have a photo at the top of the cable car and, and then come back down in the cable car. Um, I think they were very worried about us and very happy when they emerged <laughs> from the trees at the bottom. <laughs> wow. Yeah, one place I really want to go skiing is in Iran because they have um, some really big mountains near Tehran and they have fantastic ski conditions. But the year I was there, it was not opened. So it was not open yet. No, no. Had to go back. Yeah, one day. Um, So after India, did you cycle into Nepal as well? No, from India, we went into Myanmar. Okay. Okay. Yeah, which actually I think is the only place or the only country on our trip that we would say isn't really worth doing by bike. Um, I mean, we we love traveling by bike. But I think there we did really struggle with the road conditions, the dust, with the food. Um, and I think if you'd done it on a scooter or by motorbike or something, mm-hmm. you could have an amazing adventure. But it did. It was the first time it felt like a bit of a slog. And why is that? Because obviously it's a newly open country. They're very hesitant. And so it's illegal for anyone to host uh, a tourist yeah. or a foreigner. And everyone was a bit wary as to what, hosting entails and therefore you know we weren't actually able to ever just ask someone are we right to pitch our tent in you know this field or something like that because that could have very easily been seen by the authorities as hosting us and they could 
and have been arrested for doing that. Yeah. So it meant that it was just you get so much more the more you can give to strangers um, and it felt that because we were quite hesitant with them because we didn't want to get them in trouble therefore they were quite hesitant to us so it just meant that yeah we didn't properly ingratiate ourselves with them which was a bit of a shame and it meant camping at the end of the night we had to really tuck ourselves away and yeah as Verity said the road conditions just meant that um, I think in, in five years when they've made all the roads it'll be brilliant but at the time they were tarmacking and graveling and dusting and mm. tarring the roads as we went past so it was it was pretty tough it was pretty hot yeah it was our it was our least favorite of the countries that we went through um but i think only because we were cycling through it okay and um how long did you spend in Myanmar? and um did you actually wild camp a lot uh, it was about three weeks. I think we had a again another month as a visa length, mm-hmm. and we were again just under it. Um, we did wild camp a lot, but like Joe says, we had to really think about it. So we would sort of cook before it got dark, so our flame wouldn't give us away, and mm-hmm. um, and try and tuck ourselves away. Um, we did stay with people occasionally, so we were invited in by a monastery one night, which was amazing, and sort of spent time talking to the monks and all their uh, little sort of the child monks who go and do a with them which was brilliant and i think the more it opens up the the more fun it will be as 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 joe said i think the the interaction with locals is the best bit about cycle touring really and it just felt that we we weren't able to do as much as we'd have liked Mm. to there yeah i had a previous guest that said um if you go to a, a temple and they say you can stay, then you're pretty good. But if you see them get on a phone to ask somebody, they said you're guaranteed there's going to be a no, so you're better off just uh, to leave. Yeah. yeah, exactly. When we when we were staying in the monastery, even then, so an official came round and said, well, you shouldn't really be here, but it's too late and it's not safe for you to leave, so you, you need to stay here tonight. Um, so, yeah, it just meant, and as I'm sure a lot of your listeners know, you know, Southeast Asia is brilliant for that kind of camping and in monasteries and in temples and things mm-hmm. like that and so that's part of why Southeast Asia is brilliant is you can camp wherever you want and it's it's amazing and it just felt a little bit limiting in, in Myanmar which was a shame because the people everyone that we did manage to speak to properly was amazing and so helpful and yeah. and actually it was the country where we'd hear people shouting hello before we could even see where they were coming from I don't think we've ever been sort of escorted by hellos so much as any any country is there so yeah the people were wonderful and friendly we were just wary of getting anyone yeah. into trouble really and um what was the rest of your route where did you go through after we hit thailand so once we hit thailand we then um effectively stayed south the whole time so from thailand into malaysia and into singapore and then uh, we had a bit of time in indonesia as well before then flying to new zealand which was our last last destination um, initially, we'd wanted to try and do a bigger loop and go through Laos and Cambodia, Vietnam. But at that point, we knew we wanted to have some time skiing in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So we had a slight eye on the time and decided we'd save that for another trip. So again, that's on the list of somewhere we're going to return to yeah. and, and spend some time. Yeah. What were some of the things you really liked about um, your your route south from Thailand to Malaysia to Singapore and Indonesia? Yeah, so we... I mean, Thailand is uh, a mecca for cycle touring, and it was incredibly well. It was actually it was, it was easy, wasn't it? It was it was flat. It was great camping by the beach and everything that you imagine it to be. It's cheap food. It's good food and cheap friendly beers. People. Cheap beers exactly always helps. 
so yeah, Thailand was great, but we prefer Malaysia, I think, just in terms of the diversity. You know, each each city, town, village had its own sort of Chinese Malay and Indian Malay, and everybody sort of got on well with each other. And the food again was incredible. The, there was a bit more because we didn't go to northern Thailand. We went straight down south. You know, we didn't see mm-hmm. many of the mountains, so the Cameron Highlands and places like that. Yeah, Malaysia had a royal mix, and we we absolutely loved it. Yeah, I miss. I, I lived there for quite a while, and I miss Malaysia. It was um, very good food, and yeah. and people travel by eating. Uh, some other similar country that did that was um, Korea when I lived there, and uh, yes. people would be like, "Oh, you're going to that town? You must try this food at that town because it's <laughs> such a Brilliant. famous thing." So yeah, really cool. Yeah, really loved it, and we were there during Ramadan as well, which was really special because I think it just made people even more friendly um, mm-hmm. and those communities were even more welcoming than than ever I mean it was a very friendly community anyway but I think suddenly everyone was very excited to you know break their fast in the evening and let us join in and yeah share when that the with us. evening call of prayer comes and everyone gets really excited about the food and yeah yeah it was brilliant time yeah to the be only, there, really. only downside with Ramadan is it's got to be careful on the roads right at around 6 30 p.m because everybody's rushing to get where they're going yeah, yeah exactly and hungry <laughs> and they're hungry yeah did you so you guys did break your fast with some local families yeah yeah so we were really lucky um in fact a few of them were warm showers which is as i'm sure you know mm-hmm. um the network sort of hosting for cycle tourists around the world um, and as ever people were very generous and let us stay with them and those those people we had were were breaking their fast and we joined them for their special dinner yeah, it was and, lovely to be a part of actually yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was really, special. really special oh that's amazing so from once you reached singapore where did you fly to did you fly directly to lombok or did you cycle from somewhere else so we flew from singapore to bali okay and um, we'd thought about getting the boat across you can get across to java and mm-hmm. then cycle across but actually having done some research it seemed like java is i mean i'm sure it's a great a great island, but it's a bit hectic to be on a bike. It's um, so very we busy. Yeah. Skip it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so straight into Bali, and then we were back on the bikes and cycled Bali and Lombok, um, which was fantastic. And it, yeah, another another country and another culture. Yeah, Lombok was an incredible little island. It was um, a really fun loop, just all around the outside. Um, a small ferry across from Bali um, and it was just I mean it you can imagine it getting busier and busier as all these places will with yeah. um, normal tourists but to be five miles away from uh, a village and the kids just screaming running out of their school um, shouting hello hello as we as we run past it was, oh, as we bully, past, oh, it, was <laughs> it was just it was you know it was very special to be there and to feel unique as we as we cycle past it. I didn't feel like many people had done that despite the fact that you knew that there were plenty of tourists around. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. How was the contrast between um, Bali and Lombok for you guys? I mean, I've been to both, so I know my answers, but I'd love to hear your, your perspective. <laughs> um, I mean, Bali was not what we expected, I don't think. It was, a- it was very busy and very, you know, very much a holiday destination. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think Lombok, we felt like we saw more of local life. And the thing, it was also just for us, you know, wanting to camp and things like that. That was all a lot easier on Lombok. Bali was, yeah, much busier and not quite the island sort of paradise mm-hmm. that, that we were expecting. But I know 
our idea of island paradise is probably different from someone who wants to go on a, a five-star retreat somewhere. So we're probably looking for different things. Yeah, I think they both have their time and place. Yeah, yeah exactly. and it was interesting, actually. A lot of people that we spoke to on Bali said, you've got to be careful of Lombok. And a lot of places that we'd been reading about were saying, you've got to be careful about Lombok. And they'd been, you know, they weren't very friendly people. And they'd, you know, you've got to watch out for all of your stuff. And there's people with machetes and things like that. And I couldn't have been further from the truth. It was a real, I don't know whether it was historical, it, historical or... or the fact that people who were just judgmental of something they didn't quite know because Bali perhaps isn't, yeah, it's not Indonesia in the same way. Yeah, I kind of think it's it's very similar because each island, and Indonesia is really built up of these islands, right? Each island has its own culture that it kind of becomes what you would imagine. Like when I lived in Korea and I was going to go to China on a holiday, people were like, got to be careful, China's so dangerous. Like, and, <laughs> and like China's got police officers and army soldiers, conscript stuff everywhere. Like you're really, really safe for the most part in China. And I think maybe it's similar, you know, like people hear about the other island and what's going on there. So yes. like, be careful of Lombok, you know? <laughs> it was such a shame because we almost didn't go to Lombok because of it. And uh, It was the first time we were really warned about something. Yeah. And yeah. I think it made us very apprehensive. And, and like Joe said, it it was absolutely amazing. I mean, people yeah. couldn't, yeah. couldn't have been friendlier. And on um, the counterpart too, like people <laughs> probably tell their kids in Lombok, like don't go to Bali because it's full of prostitutes sure. and this and that. Because, you know. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Did you guys um, hike up to Mount Rinjani at all? Or? Yeah, we did. We did. Um, slightly ridiculous. Did it on a what we thought was a rest day. Um, <laughs> and it turned out we hadn't actually walked anywhere for about, well, eight months or so at that point. And yeah. it turns out they're very different leg muscles. Um, we really struggled the following day. Yeah, I mean, we're both absolutely bizarre. We're both relatively intelligent people, but we've <laughs> presumed our leg muscles are leg muscles. And if we'd been on a bike for eight months would be pretty strong but after one day of walking we were absolutely it just we just couldn't we couldn't do anything the next day at all like walking down steps was agony it was so <laughs> yeah. painful did you um did you guys make it to the top yeah we well, did not the top top um oh, not the summit no yeah. we made it up to the crater okay um, and then camps yeah camps on the top nice but there was still so the crater walk currently was well i don't know whether it still is but when we were there was still shut from the volcano mm -hmm. eruption you know we, we saw quite a lot of the devastation actually of that and they're obviously trying to rebuild the industry there and a lot of a lot of buildings have been damaged you could see a lot of communities have really yeah. really took a hit from that and that that was you know really sad to see yeah. but you can see that they're trying trying to rebuild and and move forward from it but it's going to take time it hit pretty hard i think yeah so after you cycled back to, did you cycle to Mataram and fly from there or did you go all the way back to Bali? We did a loop, so we went back to Bali. So um, from Lombok, we actually took a boat, so we went off and saw the Komodo dragons and took a boat uh, for, a, uh, for four or five days. Yeah. Oh, okay, so you went all the way out, like Komodo National Park. Well, that's pretty far. Well, because we, um, we'd heard that they were going to be stopping people going on it for a couple of years or raising the price by you know 300 percent or something so we ah. thought indonesia is incredible but as you say it's it's made up of so many islands that mm -hmm. actually the best way to see it is on a boat um and so yeah we took a boat to do a little cheeky trip extra and then yeah came back to our bikes back in lombok and finished off bali after that did you guys go to the gilly islands as well no we didn't we didn't um I'm sure they're great fun, but yeah, it wasn't for us on this trip. <laughs> no. 
kind of the same thing as Bali. It's like if it depends what you're looking for at what time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I'm not there up for sort of padded shorts and wearing lycra. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's it, might, it might work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe. maybe. Well, sometimes didn't quite fit a bikini, so it was uh, <laughs> slightly different. Yeah, yeah. So New Zealand, you guys went there. You wanted to do some adventuring. You did some skiing. Um, I'm assuming you flew into Christchurch, or was it somewhere else? Yeah, no, exactly. Flew into Christchurch. Um, I mean, our initial plan had always been to cycle the length of both islands. And mm-hmm. um, I think it had been something on Joe's bucket list. I mean, since you were at school. Yeah. Uh, they have that new path too. They have this um, adventure trail that goes all three thousand kilometers or whatever the length of the New Zealand is. Yeah, and it's all opening up, and you can see yeah. it. it's going to be great. It's going to be absolutely amazing. But I think currently there were sections which should have been sort of on the roads, and there, you know, there aren't that many roads, so it means there are they are busy, and there's big logging trucks and things. Mm-hmm. So we decided we would do some trails rather than trying to cycle all of it. Um, and we were there for a while, so we spent the last three months in New Zealand, and we, yeah, explored by bike and by car and and by ski. So it was. Yeah, it was a fantastic way to round off. Yeah, it was it was a brilliant way to finish because we knew that we were only away for a year. Um, yeah. It wasn't open-ended. We knew that we had to get back. We didn't want to get back. We would have loved to carry on cycling. And if we had the chance to, then, you know, we would have done the extra loop round to Vietnam. And, you know, we'd have done a lot more cycling. But because we knew we had to be back, um, we needed to... Um, get back into sort of normality and and live in a house again and and all get off our bicycles. So we didn't want to go from cycling every day straight back into work because I obviously had my my start date again when I when I came back. So yeah, we wanted to make sure that it was a little bit restful as well. So we had a couple of months um, chilling in New Zealand and yeah, skiing, but okay. still had our bikes with us and still doing as many trails as possible. Where did you ski in New Zealand? That's in South. Uh, that's mostly in the South Island, right? Yeah, so we cycled quite a few of the hills, actually, didn't we? So we were based in Wanaka. Sorry, skied. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were based in Wanaka and, and did sort of the four mountains around there. Um, and they're all really different. I mean, it's very different from Europe, which is what we're used to. But it was, yeah, I mean, it, it's great. New Zealand is it was, an absolutely amazing place. It was brilliant, but everyone kept saying, oh, you should have been here last year. It was amazing snow. <laughs> yeah. uh, sort of didn't really help us. But no, it was brilliant. Uh, we absolutely loved everything about New Zealand, and um, it was a pretty cool country. Yeah, I was there in 2011, and it was fantastic. Yeah, it was really, really great. Expensive, though. Did you um, did you buy your car, or did you rent one and then sell it again? Or buy it and sell it, or just rent one? Uh, we, we bought one and sold it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it worked yeah. out to be cheaper, and it also meant that Verity could have a her dream uh, Land Rover Freelander. So she was... Yeah, she was lived great. the dream for three months. And oh, nice. That. Pretty sad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember how expensive it was just for a couple of weeks to rent a, like a camper van and stuff. Even cars weren't much more, uh, that much cheaper. So a lot of people in Australia and New Zealand, they just buy and sell, yeah? Yeah, and it was actually it's the only thing in the whole of New Zealand that seemed to be good value. Like you said, it was so expensive in New Zealand, but actually a car, albeit a 15-year-old car, and by the time you sold it, you know, you, you, it was definitely worth doing that. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like a bit of reverse culture shock when you went into New Zealand after spending so long away from English speaking countries? Massively so. Yeah. And I wasn't really expecting it either. I think just being back in a more familiar, albeit a much more epic environment than the UK, but there are similarities. I think that's part of the reason why it worked very well as somewhere for us to sort of have a bit of a transition back back to normality but the first few weeks it, it 
it was very strange, wasn't it? It was very, very strange. I don't know what else to ask you about New Zealand. That's right. So we, it was quite funny, actually. We've been meaning to do a blog post about it. it the, we borrowed a, a friend's camper van for a, a week or so as well. And obviously going from cycle touring to camper vanning mm-hmm. is a, a step up. You know, you've suddenly got a lot more space and you've got can carry more things with you. And it was a really fun contrast between cycle touring to van life. Yeah. Uh, and most people are obviously getting into a smaller space and having to get used to all of that we were sort of expanding out into a van life so it was it was really interesting to go around the country which is obviously as beautiful and as epic as new zealand but um the the differences between cycle touring and in a camper van was it was really interesting to see like how it made us appreciate cycle touring even more i think the fact oh, yeah? that you well because you're in a camper van you're seeing all these beautiful places but a lot of the time you will stop off in let's say a supermarket and stock up on a lot of food and when you are cooking, you'll be cooking inside your van or something like that. Whereas yeah. you're forced to have such interaction with with locals and well everybody when you're cycle touring, and that's that's what makes it, and that's what makes you appreciate a country. Yeah, very good points. Let's sort of switch things up. I just want to talk a bit about you said you you keep a you're a maths guy, so lots of statistics. What kind of distances did you ride on average? Um, nothing too big actually. Our average is about 50, 60 miles. Um, we, yeah, like I said, we knew basically our plan and we knew that we had a year to do it. Um, we never wanted to feel like it was a race. We never wanted to feel like we had to get anywhere in particular. In fact, the, pretty much the only day where we had something booked in advance was for Christmas Day. Okay. Christmas Eve, and we, you know, had to get our head down and and race out the 90 or so miles to get there before lunchtime because we want to get there as early as possible to make most of, you know, a fancy hotel that we'd booked for Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, our average was pretty much 50, 60 miles. Um, yeah, we didn't want to feel like we were begrudging it at all. We just wanted to take it easy and we wanted to stop whenever we'd had enough. Yeah, and for the non-imperial people, that's uh, 80 to 100 kilometers kind of. Oh, yeah, sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Lots of Brits, a lot of British people listen to this, so too. So, <laughs> how do you feel you've grown and developed throughout this adventure? I think I think that's something that actually is only really dawning now. So we've been back pretty much six months, and I think when you're on, you know, you're you're in the adventure and you're mm-hmm. living and breathing it, it's hard to see how you are changing. But I think I think both of us really have. I think we're probably a lot more open um I hope we weren't too close before but I think more than ever sort of open to uh people and and wanting to find out more about everyone mm-hmm. um and also just faith in humanity is just an all-time high um you know you just learn that people are fundamentally good and we didn't meet anyone on the trip who didn't just want us to have a great time and welcome us in and um for us to have a a great time wherever we were so I think just being open and friendly, and I hope that's I hope that's rubbed off, mm-hmm. rub, rubbed off on us a bit. Yeah. Did you have any dangerous moments throughout the trip, whether it's vehicles, people, whatever? No, we were really conscious of dogs, as every cycle tourist is mm-hmm. chasing us, but we avoided them at all, pretty much the whole time. We started singing to get rid of them, which was very useful. Yeah, it turns out if you sing to a dog, they don't they don't chase you. <laughs> Sweet like, oh. Caroline. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it can be whatever you want as long as they hear you. They seem to be all right with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess we did have a few moments where 
we felt a bit apprehensive, but it was always completely unnecessary. Yeah. So you know, there's um, there was a moment actually in Lombok when we were camping and we were starting to set up tent and then a few sort of young boys came up on scooters and they were looking at us and pointing at us and we were thinking, oh, do we really want them to know that we're planning on sleeping here tonight? And so we were starting to feel a bit uneasy. But actually it turned out they were practicing English and trying to get the courage to come over and talk to us. And eventually they did. And, and they were great. They were so friendly. And that is a completely reflection, completely a reflection on us that mm. we were starting to feel a bit nervous when actually they were just interested and curious about quite why these two random people were sitting in this lay-by in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we know we were never, never in danger at all. We know not for, through people at all. We had a, one accident where Verity got knocked off her bike by a motorcycle that, was just shocked to see us, I think, and so panicked and slid. But no, we were never really in danger, never felt like it is. And yeah, it, as Verity said, it, it completely sort of restores your faith that yeah. the vast majority of people in the world are good. And they're actually, it was brilliant to see wherever you went, really. Did you have any difficulties with borders? No, not at all. I mean, I think we're very, very, very lucky with a UK passport that things are normally straightforward, apart from Iran, sadly. Mm hmm. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of them were online visas that we could do once we knew we were about a week out, we could apply for it online. And yeah, it was all it was all very straightforward. We were incredibly lucky, incredibly lucky with that. Okay. If you if you had to pick one moment would, that you would say is the most memorable moment, are you able to do that? Is it possible? I mean, <laughs> it's too hard. Cappadocia in the middle of Turkey is just an incredible place to be. And it's even more incredible when you're camping in a cave as a lot of cycle tourists have, it's just, it's that kind of atmosphere where you feel incredibly special to be there. I mean, personally, yeah, it's just the the interactions that you have with almost everybody daily was just perfect, but you couldn't really take one of them any higher than the others. No, I mean, we started, I think it was in India, when people would ask for a selfie with us, we started asking for a selfie with them too. So we've got this sort of collection of hundreds of selfies with people and I was flicking through them the other day and it's just amazing like I, I remember each and every one of them and how kind and happy and friendly and excited they were to to see us and how happy we were to meet them and mm -hmm. I think it's things like that that that's the stuff that you remember amazing do you have a moment that you would say was the most difficult moment on the trip when Verity got knocked off was probably the only time I mean that was probably another reason why we weren't the biggest fans of Myanmar was because that's when Verity got knocked off her bike. Okay. It was the only, yeah, it was the only um, low point, really. Like we said, the the road conditions weren't great. We'd struggled finding places to um, camp and things to eat. And then, yeah, a motorcycle sort of overtook me on the other side of a ridiculously steep, well, we were going up, he was coming down. Um, sort of double took me because he wasn't quite expecting to me to be there slid and then continued to slide all the way into Verity's wheel, ah. knock it out of place. And I mean, in hindsight, it was pretty funny because he had a big bag of flour that went everywhere. It was properly like a cartoon. It was hilarious. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, at the time it was pretty scary and we weren't quite sure what we were going to do or how we were going to get out of it. But um, again, it was the locals who came to rescue, you know, they tried explaining it but couldn't explain to us but had turned out they had phoned up one of their friends who had a pickup truck type truck that we could chuck the bikes in yeah. they drove us to the nearest town who well they helped us find a bicycle shop or a motorbike shop who whacked the wheel back into place to true enough for us to keep on cycling the next day it was 
yeah, it was, again, whenever anything went bad, it was uh, people who sort of sorted it out for us. It was amazing. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Joe, I'm wondering, how have you taken these experiences back into your classroom as a teacher? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I like to shoehorn them into most of my lessons. Uh, being, a, being a math teacher, I can talk about gear ratios or um, miles to kilometers conversions most of the time. Um, <clears throat> but I think the kids have pretty much had enough of it now. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean... I've done a, an assembly at school and things like that, but well, as we've said a number of times, you know, it's, it's the people. It mm-hmm. reaffirms your belief in people. So you hear so much, especially the kids at school who are sort of 15 to 18 years old. You know, if they are on social media or getting their news reports, the vast majority of it will be bad and generalization of a country and stuff like that. And um, just because you you hear about every bad incident that happens. You never hear about all of the good incidents. So just trying to, yeah, pass that on as much as possible, really. Fantastic. We're almost done here, but coming back to the UK, now that you've been back for six months, what have been some of the challenges that you guys have had reintegrating? I know we talked about it briefly before the podcast started, but uh, you could take us through some of your own difficulties. Yes, it's been really difficult. I think I wasn't expecting it to be quite so hard. I mean, we we were very lucky. So we both ended up coming back to the same jobs, um, which we both like. And we're back in our house, which we rented out for the year when we were away. So in theory, it should have been easy to slip back into it. But actually, it's been really hard to come back to something that is familiar when you've you've been away and, and seen so much and, and have changed to an extent. So I think... Yeah, it's been it's been tricky trying to work out the balance of settling back in and yet trying to move forward and and it not just being this amazing year that happened and it's mm-hmm. you know is now over. It's actually trying to trying to keep it going and and planning the next trip. I think is is probably the way to <laughs> way to get around that. Yeah, where is the next trip? Have you planned one yet? We're hoping um, to go to Israel and Jordan. Um, nice. So we're hoping to do a cycle loop. Yeah, around there. Unfortunately, now we're tied to school holidays and I don't get that much holiday off as a lawyer so um we're trying to work out how how best to do it and when to when to go mm-hmm. do your friends do you, do you ever notice that they get tired of listening to your stories of your year abroad um i mean we don't notice <laughs> <laughs> it's a funny one actually when we came back we were very um very conscious of talking about it the whole time and because of that you know if if someone asks us how was it it's very easy to sort of say yeah it was amazing and then from there, you either talk at them for the next five hours about how brilliant it was, or you just say, yeah, it was amazing. Um, you know, what have you been up to? Um, so we ended up not talking about it too much. Okay. Um, at least trying not to talk about it too much. Um, mainly because also Verity didn't want to get too emotional about how she wanted to still be out in, uh, <laughs> yeah, in a far off place camping every night. Yeah, it, is, it does get, definitely give you, uh, yeah, a sort of an outlook of everything else that you've seen, which is difficult to sort of whenever you cast an opinion from now on, it's based on, on that kind of adventure. And if mm-hmm. people haven't been on that, then um, you sound a bit doolally talking about it, really. Yeah, that's right. Oh, it's, it's, it's a tough one, yeah. Have there been any blogs, um, any specific bloggers or writers that have toured that you guys really found made an impression on you? Well, I think when we were first thinking about what to do and we were thinking, yeah, I'd quite like to do a cycle trip, um, there was a Kiwi couple, um, so they were called World Spokespeople, who had set off 
probably about six months before we ended up actually leaving. Yeah. And that was brilliant. I used to read their blog religiously and I think they were just, I mean, a brilliant couple, but a couple of, sort of ordinary guys and they, they got off and they, they did it and they got back to New Zealand. I think seeing, seeing the fact that it was as easy as that is just getting on your bikes and they were having these great times and, and had some great stories to share. So I, I loved that blog. Yeah. It was reassuring to, to know that normal people could do it too. I think, you know, we are, we are not huge cyclists and we're not huge adventurers. We were just two normal people who wanted to enjoy it and, and get out there. And so to see that, um, this couple had done it too, um, was really reassuring that it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't too daunting for us. And because obviously there are, um, keyboard warriors out there. And if you read too many blogs, you'll, you'll hear reasons why you shouldn't do stuff or reasons why, you know, it only worked for them because they were brilliant. Um, so to, to read realistic reports from people is, uh, is always much nicer. Yeah, because some, I mean, there's definitely some people doing amazing, amazing things out there that are not your average Joe. Yeah, and you've got to, you've got to keep, be aware of that because we, you know, we found Instagram incredibly useful for, um, sort of seeing what was coming up ahead of us or for following people or for getting people getting in touch with us and stuff like that. But there are people there who you follow who are, you know, are trying to get around the world in a year and are therefore doing 150 miles or sorry 200k a day yeah and just crashing through places and and it's very easy to see that and suddenly think oh we're not going fast enough or we're not you know we're not pushing ourselves enough but we were fully aware that we had a year and we wanted to just enjoy it and it wasn't a race for us so yeah. you've got to be you've got to take every, all of your information on board with a bit of um yeah a bit of common sense i think yeah so well said i think it's um yeah everybody's doing their own tour so you got to figure out what works for you and um and find maybe, like you said, like blogs of people that are kind of like you, you know, so that that way you see what, what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, if people want to find out more about you guys, where can they find you? So we've got a blog um, and Instagram, which are both under by Jove by Bike, a name that seemed to make sense when we thought about it being German Verity, but... It, it doesn't translate into many other many other languages. No, it's hard to explain. I, mean, <laughs> I, I get it now. I just get it now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know. it, it doesn't work. But we're stuck with it. <laughs> by Jove, by bike dot com or uh, UK, and that's on our Instagram as well, which we use probably more regularly. Yeah, we try to keep our blog updated. Uh, it was particularly useful for sort of sending uh, information back to the school um, and about the charity and things mm -hmm. like that. And we wrote a sort of highlight on most countries that we went through, sort of in hindsight, looking back on it. Yeah, it's nice to even now, six months later, still go back through it and see what we were doing. Yeah, and sorry, uh, I just realized we didn't really touch on the, uh, the charity. So um, maybe you guys can tell us about the charity and um, what you did for them and what was your goal and whatnot. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, I'm aware that we've been talking for a while, so I don't want to, you know, bore everyone too much. But um, yeah, so the charity is called Magic Bus. Um, it is in India. It's all about education um, and helping people get out of poverty. Basically, um, we it is a, it was set up by an old uh, pupil at my school, so the school have a link to it, which went in quite nicely with us. It's based in India, in Mumbai. Um, it started off as just sort of taking kids out of poverty and letting them play a bit of sport, and it's grown into an absolutely mammoth organisation. Um, it's got outreach programs throughout India 
um, Nepal and Myanmar now as well. It goes into rural areas and sort of teaches girls about staying in education and the perils of sort of forced child marriages and things like that. Um, it goes into Mumbai and does um, the livelihood program, which is sort of 14 to 18-year-olds mm-hmm. volunteer at life skills and things like that that perhaps um, will get them out of or get them into themselves and their family into um salary paid jobs that will obviously come with health insurance and things like that um it's amazing to be part of we actually to be honest didn't know too much about it before we left and then seeing it in action was incredible as i said earlier sort of anything to do with india is vast and anything is just a drop in the ocean but they've helped over a million people now um have gone through their books and it's just oh wow it's absolutely incredible and it does you know you can see what a difference it does make and all of the the stories are amazing it's it's done with a lot of love as well it's very easy for a uh, a white savior to go into the middle of mumbai and say you know this is how you sh- should do things or here's you know look how much fun you could be having if you played a bit of sport um, and it's not like that at all it's done with a lot of care you know if they get somebody a job they are with them for the first year of that to make sure that they stay in the job they're handling a sort of a nine to five lifestyle mm-hmm. properly um it's yeah it's it's brilliant and um we we're, we're continuing to do a bit of work back home now with them and stuff like that it's uh it's fantastic oh very cool and how much uh, did you guys manage to raise for them just under ten thousand pounds oh, um, wow. in the end um so yeah we were i mean yeah we had our friends help us out with um, a Just Giving page. Um, it was a completely self-funded um, cycle tour, so everything, mm-hmm. any money that we raised went directly to Magic Bus, which was brilliant. And both our works helped out with a few functions and things like that. It was, um, yeah, we're, we're really pleased that we could do anything, and uh, the fact that people were so generous with it was fantastic. Awesome. And that's magicbus.com, perhaps, or .co.uk, or .dot. Dot com. I think. I mean, I think they've got all the domain names. So if you oh, okay. search Magic, I'm sure you'll find them. Well, apparently .ca in Canada. <laughs> yeah, they're everywhere. <laughs> okay. All right, guys. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time today. And uh, I know it was a while in the making and are, are matching up a time to get coordinated together and, and get this recorded. But I'm really happy to have had you on the show. And um, no, for asking us, it's uh, been a pleasure. And hopefully we'll, we'll see, who knows, we might run into each other somewhere around the world someday. Yeah, how good that would be. <laughs> All right, thank you so much, guys. Cheers, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, bye. Bye-bye. I just want to thank again Joe and Verity for taking the time to be on the show and to share their experiences and relive their tour with us. It was really great to hear their stories and to listen to the passion in their voices as they talked about touring and adventuring. So thank you once again. In the next episode of Bike Tour Adventures, I'll be interviewing Dan Hurd, an American Navy vet that is doing a 25,000-mile, three-year-long tour around the lower 48 of the USA. He's doing this tour to raise suicide awareness and is cycling 22 miles a day in honor of the 22 vets that commit suicide each and every day in the U.S. Stay tuned and keep on pedaling. I want to end my show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I receive from you regularly. It really motivates me to keep going with this project and to share people's amazing stories. If you have comments or questions, you can email me at info at biketouradventures.com or go to www.biketouradventures.com and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for 
past podcast episodes, blog posts, videos, and my new touring tips page, which is slowly getting created. I'll also be integrating the Touring Talk podcast episodes into the Touring Tips section so you can listen to or read on whatever topics you like. If you're enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can also become one of my show supporters by going to www.patreon.com slash biketouradventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. Much appreciated and keep on pedaling. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling.